What's up, gifted family? Welcome to another episode of the show that is the GP YouTube. Just a reminder that if you support what we do here, make sure to go over to giftedperformance.com and sign up for our automated coaching service. For only a dollar a day, you'll get access to 15 highly customized training programs, a macronutrient calculator, our meal planning feature that lets you build and save meals based on your macros, as well as access to our private Facebook group. All subscriptions help us in continuing to put out great content to get you to your fitness goals. Thanks for stopping by, and without any further delay, let's get into today's video. Enjoy. Welcome back, guys. Another episode, a Q&A episode, to be specific, with your favorite four. I was going to say favorite four bodybuilders, but I, I don't even like lump myself in there anymore. I'm just so washed up at this point that I can't even go. So we'll just go with like favorite four burly boys benching Burberry barbells on a regular basis. That's what we'll go with for the day. That was, that was impressive. You appreciate that one. I, I feel like I, I feel like I stole that from Riff Raff. So Riff Raff, who watches these podcasts, he's a he's a friend of the a family, friend of the channel. Riff Raff, big shout out. You are Jody High Roller. I consider myself Jody Freeballer. So we'll go with that. So we are here today, as always, to answer your questions. Does anyone have any preliminary information to get out there before we kick this thing off? Dom, as of recording this, is how many days out? Um, nine. Eight? Nine? nine. Something like that. Yeah, nine. It's Thursday. Nine. It goes on Saturday. Yep, that'd be nine. So nine. If we don't count today, Dom goes to sleep at like 8 p.m. So the day is basically already over for Dom. <laughs> <laughs> at this point he's done his gym he's eaten a couple meals his day is basically over so if dom doesn't have his usual input um you know go easy on him in the comments don't don't be don't be blasting her boy do you Paul, even do you even go by time anymore or is it just like meals of the day and when those are done the day is done so what yeah, time is it like, you're like that last working? meal's done i look at dina and i'm like i'm going to bed <laughs> <laughs> whatever you need I don't give a fuck. It's over. It's over for me. <laughs> do you go do you go to bed after that last meal uh, to protect yourself from food for the rest of the day? Or do you go just from, like, to... just from that like boredom and knowing that I can't eat anymore? I rather yep. just sleep. Yeah. And it's like this horrible thing because like you wake up so early because you can't sleep because your body's like, hey, man, you should probably wake up and like, I don't know, eat something like forage for some berries or some shit. So like it, it's just this this defeating cycle of, of horribleness. But guys, sign up for contest prep. It's the best experience <laughs> of your life. You'll really enjoy it. It's a very fulfilling, transformative experience that will make a man or a woman out of you. It'll really put some hair on your chest. Anyone else have anything they want to get out there? Preliminary information before we uh, get into these questions. We got some good ones today. Let's hop in. I'm ready. All right. We got some we got some some fad questions today. Very fad heavy kind of day. All right. So the first comes from Frank the Tank FJC. Oh, underscore FJC. Don't want to get the name wrong. And Frank asks, what's the fad regarding pH balanced water? And is it beneficial? So who, by a show of hand, wants to raise their hand and take their best swing at explaining the premise behind pH balanced water? What is it and what benefit is it supposed to uh, supposed to provide? Who wants it? I think that. Uh... Yeah, so uh, I once worked for a, a gym that was basically trying to steal everything from Orange Theory Fitness and uh, F45. And the owner, if he's watching this, yeah, you're an asshole. Anyway, but uh, so do better, this, do better. He, yeah, do better. Be a better person. Um, he wasn't, you know, the 
the most trustworthy person on the planet. And so he had this pH machine. I forgot what it was called. And he was like trying to sell, he had like a, a pH water machine and he was trying to sell me into it. And he's like, you should sell this to the members. And it was this whole big thing. And so I spent, it was actually a project in the master's program where we had to, you know, <clears throat> come up with an experiment. And that was my experiment was the whole pH water thing because I had access to one. So I spent far too much time in it. So basically the idea is that, if your blood is acidic, it could pop, which is kind of a strange way to think about it. Your blood is acidic? I'm like, what? So if the pH in your blood is off and it's acidic, it could possibly cause some detrimental effects, uh, potentially affect performance. There was like this litany of things that came in a, a very poorly worded brochure that was given to people when they purchased this machine. Um, and then what I did, <clears throat> the experiment was, we actually did a uh, performance test. So we put people on a Wingate, gave them the pH water, and then gave them just regular tap water to kind of compare if it affected performance at all um, in a relatively controlled situation, which it was, it was barely controlled. But interestingly enough, uh, no one that drank the pH balanced water had any uh, beneficial effects. They actually performed worse, and it was the same people uh, only separated by a day or so. So the pH balance, the pH water is basically supposed to <clears throat> remove any acidity from your bloodstream by drinking water. Uh, and that's potentially supposed to help with performance. I believe there was like some anti-aging benefits of some sort. There were a lot of things that didn't add up at all. Yeah. So if I've learned anything from the keto crowd, it's that there's one retort that needs to be thrown in your face right here. And that's that the only possible explanation as to why they could have done worse is that they weren't pH adapted. Just like people aren't keto adapted. These folks, they weren't pH adapted. Had they drank the water for an undisclosed amount of time that could be anywhere from two weeks to their the rest of their entire life, they would have adapted over time and done better. So that was the hole in the experiment is that I didn't have enough time to give them pH water for their entire lives. Um, so I had to put that into <clears throat> the, the paper itself. To explain. Limitations. I couldn't make them drink pH balanced water for their entire life. Um, Jay, I'm pretty sure you have a little one at home and it's not too early to start on the pH water. And we can actually test this out with a sample size of one. Now that I think about it, when I look at him, he looks like his blood <laughs> may be a little bit acidic. Yeah. I have uh, some comments on just to help people understand, like some of the physiology stuff is that when before something gets into your bloodstream from, from your stomach, there's a lot of regulatory mechanisms to control its pH along the way through digestion and absorption. So like if your stomach, the gastric juices, your, your body will basically sense when the pH is too um, diluted and you'll create more gastric juices and make it more acidic again. And then before going in through like the intestinal tract, there are also various spots to neutralize acidity and stuff. So, it, yeah, I mean, it just doesn't really make sense. It, if, if your stomach, even before it leaves your stomach, if, if the contents there is too basic, it will your body will make it acidic again. Does that make sense? And so, and then not only that, I mean, we've talked about our, uh, just the general understanding of blood pH. It stays in a very narrow range as well. Yeah, I believe the range fluxes by 0.1 to 0.2 before bad things really start to happen. I think, I mean, what's normal blood pH? I think it's like 7.2, Two. I think. 7.2, I think, yeah. Yeah, so it's 7.2. Above 7.4 is like serious problems bordering on death. 7.0 or below, serious problems bordering on death. And 
one of the great things about evolution is that your body over time designed itself in a way that it was very protective against you, the user. Like think, of, think, of, think of your body as the machine, the well-refined machine over thousands of years of elevation. You and your stupid brain are just the user. And the machine has ways to correct for user error. So in this scenario, the user error is, I think that by drinking pH water, I can, I don't even know, I can lower the pH of my blood and, you know, things that occur in acidic environments like cancer cell growth will, will stop or they'll, they'll, they'll cut off. But your body is way, 10 steps ahead of you. I believe your stomach acid is something like six molar hydrochloric acid. Is that correct? Chemistry people. Wait, what was that? Stomach acid? I believe Dom, are you Googling it right now? You can yeah. fact check me. Dom is our Dom is our resident fact checker. I believe stomach acid is six molar hydrochloric acid. So strong that if you were to drop it on your skin, it would let's say I dropped it on my arm right here. I believe it would be strong enough to completely burn a hole straight through your arm. So the idea that sipping some water that you got at whatever this gym was that Jay sold you for, you know, ninety nine ninety nine a gallon is going to lower that number is uh is kind of silly dom what you got 160 millimoles 160 millimoles what does that even mean it's equivalent to the ph of 0.8 ah our okay. stomach acid yeah the I, thought parietal pH, cells, I thought the, the stomach parietal cells the parietal cells that secrete hydrochloric acid is at a concentration yeah. roughly at 0.8 pH. But I think that it, it most likely it, it's mixing with other things because I think stomach pH ends up being um, two like to three something, I think. Yeah. yeah, two to three. And I mean, you can dilute it, but like like I said, you, you'll just pump out more gastric juices to bring it back down. Dom, do you have any... Uh, do you have any input here on pH water, is it beneficial? I don't think there's a difference. I think it's just water. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good input. Yeah, that's 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 very I, uh, true. I, uh, I don't think you can actually lower your pH of your blood. I think that would be a really bad idea. So here's here's a good example of that. Mountain Dew or more specifically Mountain Dew Zero Sugar and coffee are both very acidic. And I don't think the acidity of Dom's stomach has changed, even though that's the only thing that he, those are the only two beverages that he drinks at this point. What did I tell you? Yeah. I mean, even if you try to consume something incredibly basic, like sodium bicarbonate, your body is just going to make you flush that out. Like immediately, it's just going to shove it through your ass. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just gonna, uh, <laughs> another one of those protection mechanisms. I will say, um, that, uh, I've, I've met a couple people that have felt like it helps with their uh, acid reflux. And at first, the first time I heard that, I was like, that's weird. I can't say anything against it. Maybe that's something I'll look into. And then, um, you know, I've seen uh, uh, two people in my life ha have sort of tried something like that. And one thing that I've noticed is that um, when they start doing that, they also just start drinking more water in general and they're more conscious of it. And I think it comes down to that water being helpful to that their particular circumstance. So I don't know. I think they just happen to think it's the pH water because that's yeah, that's true. I think and I think that's kind of true across a litany of situations where a problem arises and the more unpleasant the problem is. And, you know, something like like uh, uh, what did you just say? Acid reflux, acid, re something like acid reflux or GERD when it's really, really bad. People will really throw anything at it. So, you know, they're trying pH water. They're changing the foods that they eat. They're throwing Tums at it. They're, they're throwing a lot of different things. And then they lash on to one thing that, oh, it was the, the pH water. It wasn't like what Paul said, you know, the 10 other things that you did to, to actually fix that issue. 
What do you think? And I don't want to derail the conversation here too much, but I think acid reflux is a pretty common issue that we run into, especially coaching like bodybuilders and, and bodybuilders on the enhanced side of things that are using, uh, you know, all sorts of compounds that can make that problem worse. What are, what are some of the things that just for acid reflux in general that you'll throw at your clients to help them out with, with that issue? I want to pass this to Dom, but I do want to say Dom taught me something really cool. Oh, Dom left. <laughs> no. Hey, Dom, I think I your OBS is on. Dom. Hey, Dom, I think yeah. you have to close out your OBS. Um, but yeah, no, I think Dom is a good one who spent, has spent way more time on this than I have, but Dom actually taught, cause I always attacked it from the approach of, Oh, like maybe there's too much acidity or something, or we need to, uh, change our foods to maybe more basic foods or something like that. And, uh, Dom made me aware that sometimes the problem is that, um, there's not enough stomach acid or it's there. The environment in the stomach is not acidic enough. Yeah. Uh, so like if somebody, if, if somebody gets like really bad acid reflux, usually the first thing I'll do is have them start taking, um, beta HCL with their meals so that there's extra acid to help break down the meal a bit more. And usually that's enough. Um, if not, what I'll do is, I'll have empty stomach, uh, like glutamine uh, drink before they start the day um, with uh, like apple cider vinegar in it. And then um, another thing I like to use too when people have like really bad acid reflux is something like peppermint gels they can take between their meals and it really calms down their um, reflux. So what do you think are actually, and maybe you haven't thought this far into it, but I bet you have, um, the mechanisms there by which those things work. So like the apple cider vinegar, the glutamine, the, the, would you say betaine hydrochloride? Yeah. What, uh, what are some of the underlying things that are happening there that are actually assisting with the acid reflux? Well, I know a big thing is, uh, like the histamine response you get, um, can really affect your stomach acid. So like people that um, maybe run high, like some people like can't eat high histamine releasing foods because they get such bad reflux from it. Like, I don't know, there's like those fad diets and stuff, but um, I think the way that the, I think most of the time when people have bad reflux, it comes from underproduction, not overproduction. And adding things in like the apple cider vinegar or the betaine provides more acid, provides more ability to break down stuff. And most of the time you see, you see acid reflux coming in for like a bodybuilder after high protein meals because they're having trouble breaking down the protein. So adding those extra things are pretty, pretty solid to have. Um, and then what I, the glutamine I like to use just because it feeds um, like our intestinal cells use it a lot. So like providing enough to our intestinal cells, like we can absorb food better, maybe down the road somehow that has a cascade effect of digesting better and, you know, all those things. Yeah, I think meeting Dom and hearing all that stuff, because he's we've had small conversation on that, is huge because... I, I would have never learned all of that about fucking, I would attack acid reflux the wrong way for the rest of my life. <laughs> I agree. I definitely, I mean, towards, I think it was after a competition season when I was probably just eating too much food and I like hot sauce a lot. I would just wake up in the middle of the night, almost as if I were sort of like vomiting like lava. And I just assume that it was, I'm like, oh, I need to cut back on the hot sauce. And then it still didn't go away. So that stuff, it's very interesting, Dom. I'm about to, you just changed my life, I think. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, lives have been changed. That's what we do on each question. I'm, I'm interested to hear how some lives are changed on this next one here. We're going to change your life, Mr. Maximus. Um, so the next question comes from Supremus Maximus, at Supremus Maximus. And he says, unsymmetrical. The word you're looking for is asymmetrical there. We love you, but we had to correct you on that one. Asymmetrical muscle groups. Um, do you let them balance out over time or focus on that lagging part? Uh, Paul, the, uh, the the training mastermind here. If you notice someone who has this um, these asymmetrical body parts or maybe like the bilateral deficit that we're looking at here, um, do you specifically program training in on one side or do you let the problem kind of even out over time? Usually, usually it's not a problem um, because I think a lot of people create this problem because they look at themselves and we always things on our own bodies are always going to stick out way more. And I mean, a lot of times it is different enough that if somebody points it out, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I do see what you're talking about. But a lot of people, I mean, it's bodybuilding. We demand perfection and we're asymmetrical beings and not everything is going to be perfect on each side of your body um one of my pets is less voluptuous than the other one one of my quads is uh shaped a little differently my biceps and triceps are a little different and that's how everybody is i mean even my collarbone you can't see now because i'm so girthy but like what one collarbone is literally like a half inch above the other um so uh, it's just how we are a lot of times. Um, when it comes to, I have had a couple circumstances where people have had uh, surgeries, you know, like uh, involving the knee, where where clearly it's asymmetrical, and uh, we know why. And so what I like to do coming out of um, that surgery, once they are at a point that they can train again, is uh, the biggest thing is obviously giving them what they can handle like we're obviously we're not going straight into 20 sets a week for that leg that's injured or whatever but you something to remember because a lot of people want to jump into that and they want to say they want to ask like should i do extra sets for this small leg like no it's been immobile for so long or you only just started being able to do uh rehab movements with it or maybe they're beyond that point it's very responsive to training now one set for that leg is not it is going to be a larger stimulus than it would be for your other leg so not only do you want to milk that but you can also easily do too much for that muscle now right and so yeah i think patience is a huge thing there and just addressing it and and going into it and realizing like hey um you know it might be different if you could just go into maximal training again but there's a process where training your range of motion has to return um and you're just your capacity to do full training so that's going to take potentially several months and um then once you can train at, at the intensity that you can train with with the other leg or whatever um that could take several months then, and it might just be a longer process. And you don't want to jump right into let's let's hammer this this muscle um, coming out of this surgery point. Something that I agree with that you said was that on a set by set basis, in a unilateral scenario, the stimulus will be greater on the injured leg as they come back. One thing that I want to pick your brain on is for bilateral exercises on a rep by rep basis, granted that the weight is the same on both sides. Do you see that the stimulus per rep is going to be greater on that injured side? Let's say I hurt my bicep and I come back to training and I'm doing dumbbell curls with, you know, sets of our dumbbells that are 20 pounds is the 20 pound on the injured side going to create a greater stimulus than it is on the uninjured side? Um, and is that going to create something where that previously injured side catches up faster or something like a, like a leg extension for someone who had a knee injury? Let's say you're using both legs for each rep of that set. Are you getting a better stimulus or a greater stimulus on the injured side of the previous injury in previously injured side so i think that the the dumbbell question was crazy complex and i i, I was about to 
I don't know, just be like, I, I'm I'm not really sure because, but going to the leg extension or let's say leg press or squat, whatever they're, they're doing, I think something you realize and squat probably wouldn't be the movement they'd be doing anyway. Um, I would expect a lot of people to um, sort of baby that injured leg and that their uninjured leg would take a lot of that load. And so... Yeah, I mean, in the couple circumstances I've had where I've um, coached people out of these injuries once they're cleared through their PT or whatever to start normal training again is uh, I do have those multi-joint bilateral lifts, but I also like to have those unilateral lifts to cover that gap in case they are um, babying one leg um, and then also... You know, just all the other stuff that comes into like balance and focus and getting range of motion in that one leg, because that one leg may limit their other leg on uh, bilateral movements because they can't move the injured leg through as great of a range of motion and stuff, too. So, I mean, just for my I'm not an expert on bringing people out of these injuries and such um, and returning to training. But I mean, uh Man, I was going somewhere with that. I don't know. It it just makes sense to me that you would want kind of both both of that, both of those to be there. And I think over the whole, like once you you know a, a decently um, designed program where you do have that bilateral and unilateral work, and and you're talking about multiple sets per muscle group, and making sure you're not overreaching or anything like that. By the end of that workout, like both legs should be getting a decent stimulus. Yep. Yeah. You know who we need to make answer this question is Mike. Yeah. Dr. Mike Taylor is the one who needs to answer this question. I'm interested to see what he says about what I said about some of that stuff. Because I'm trying to be really careful and not cross into his scope as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think answering this question outside of like an injury context. So let's say, you know, you've been training, you've been lifting weights for 10 years and you're you know, left bicep measures 17 inches and your right bicep measures 16 and a half inches. Is this a scenario where you need to do additional work on your right side to catch up to your left side? This just might be something where genetics has decide, decided or your personal genetics have decided that your right arm is just going to be smaller than your left arm. I think, too, with... A, a half inch is reasonable, but I feel I feel like often when this is brought up, when you ask somebody to measure their arm um, or whatever, if it is something that can easily you can distinguish between the two muscles um, or two limbs or something and get that circumference is uh, that they often are very similar. In circumference, they just look a little different because of the muscle belly, and one appears to look bigger or fuller or whatever. Or it's a very small difference, an eighth of an inch, a quarter of an inch. Um, the I would say I'm not saying this doesn't exist, but I would say like the only times where I've really seen somebody have a, a large disparity going on like a half inch plus, um, I feel like usually there's some explanation that like, they tell you like, oh, I have nerve damage from an injury so they can't even activate that musculature the same or um they did have an injury within the last couple years that they're still sort of rehabbing or nursing up or whatever so personal example i have of this is anthony when he came to work with me when he first came to work with me he had had a knee injury in the past and he definitely had some difference in the size of his quads and we didn't do anything differently. We kind of just trained like normal because that's what I thought was best practice at the time and sample size of one. But now when his quads measure they're like you said, they're like a quarter inch away from each other. Yeah. Old yeah. Anthony Plaza, or as you thought he was going to be named after last week's wedding, <laughs> Anthony Hireholzer. <laughs> but we found out that he's not taking Maria's name. Huge shock to me. I almost stood up and <laughs> I was like, this is this is not what I thought was going on here. We love it. Was that our first was that the first gifted wedding? I think so. I think it was. Wow, guys, we are matchmakers. Go ahead and pat yourself on the back. We do. We really do God's work here. <laughs> All right. Here's a question that's I can't more reach so too jacked. <laughs> it's because your collarbones are 
are not symmetrical. <laughs> so if you had those, you know, work on it. Go to your local chiropractor and get it fixed out. Johnny, we love you. That was not a shot at chiropractors. Um, so our next question comes from Dom's client, and it's a question that I'm going to throw to Dom. Our supplement guy, uh, Fab Giselle, asks, what are your thoughts on L-carnitine supplements? Mechanism of how it's supposed to work, and then practical, does it actually do what it's supposed to? I'm like in school. <laughs> the way you asked that right now. <laughs> yeah, that was very Professor Z of me. Um, so uh, we know carnitine in your mitochondria of your cell, you have carnitine complexes that carry fatty acids through into the inner membrane so that we can use fatty acid through beta oxidation. Big words. It's using fat for energy. <laughs> um, so the idea is by supplementing L-carnitine, we can increase the density of how many uh, carnitine complexes we have, thus being able to use fatty acids more efficiently. Um, the, the body likes to use energy or likes to create energy with the least amount of time. And it takes a lot of time to convert fat to energy. So how do we make that easier? The thought is by taking L-carnitine, we can make that mechanism a bit easier. Um, the only things I've seen wrong with L-carnitine supplements are they're usually really underdosed. Um, the bioavailability orally is not that high. Um, and then a lot of people don't do this, but you're actually supposed to take L-carnitine in a really high insulin presence. Like with a high carb meal, um, insulin helps shuttle it a lot more. Uh, one practice is injectable L-carnitine, which uh, goes intramuscularly, and that has a way higher bioavailability. So that odds of it working are a lot better than actually just taking it orally. Um, and then there's also acetyl L-carnitine which has the attachment so that it can pass through the blood-brain barrier and your brain can use it. Um, I, I don't, I've, I've seen so many things and even, you know, just growing up, I've tried L-carnitine supplements and stuff. I've never noticed a difference at all. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't say like, I would say don't waste your money. Like don't, don't get sold on drink this L-carnitine to burn fat and stuff like that yeah i uh i remember that was a big fad and a lot of people at one point um i don't know if they worked out the conversion or they're just like hey let's take a huge dose of this orally so that we can get the uh amount of l-carnitine that we need the effective dose and i remember a lot of people reporting um, I, whether or not it worked, I think a couple people had claimed it did at like something like 10,000 milligrams a day or whatever it was, but they were like, I smell awful. I smell like fish. Oh, yeah. My pores. It's like, like an, it, it gives off like an ammonia smell. <laughs> the way that I see kind of L-carnitine working or the analogy that I always use is that like if the mitochondria is a warehouse and, you know, Fatty acids are the boxes that are being loaded into the warehouse to be shipped out. L-carnitine would be the workers. So the theory is that by supplementing with L-carnitine, you're basically bringing more workers to the warehouse to then load boxes and ship them out. So you should theoretically be able to you know, ship more boxes out or burn more fat. But uh, a warehouse can only fit so many workers inside of it. So just by hiring more workers, you don't you, you can't really ship out more boxes. And Dom, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, L-carnitine being an amino acid. Is that right? L-carnitine is an amino acid, right? No, it's a, what is di it? it's a, tri, it's a tri or dipeptide. Dipeptide? Something is, like that. Is it an is it an essential or a non-essential uh, nutrient? I think it's a conditionally essential. Okay, so with it, okay, so with it being, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So with it being conditionally essential, that means that the body, in not all scenarios, will or in some scenarios, won't be producing enough of it. Yeah. 
Okay, that makes sense. Then yeah, then I guess that would yeah. So supplementing with it would serve some so benefit this in that. Is one thing, this is one thing that's really confusing about it. It's marketed as an amino acid, which is wrong. Mm. It's always in the amino acid section. It's even online as an amino acid. In my master's program, I did all my work on amino acids, and I started talking about L-carnitine, and I said amino acid, and my professor was like, you're wrong. And then from that day forward, I was like, what do you mean I'm wrong? <laughs> he's like, and he, he explained it to me. He's like, it, it's, it's actually considered a peptide because of how it's made. Yeah. So um, you guys feel free, and especially like Dom to, um, to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one limitation of viewing it for that and, you know, the, uh, you know, you have all these workers or whatever and stuff that you're shipping is not necessarily even, I mean, that, that, is, that is a valid limitation, like how many workers or like shuttles or whatever you can have in the factory, but like, you're not thinking about what they're shipping right and so that's only one step to fat loss uh, you still have to uh liberate the fat and uh break it down and get it to that process to where it can be used and so yeah i mean that's just a consideration it's there are many steps to fat loss and that only addresses one now if there was potentially i mean because there are rate limiting steps for everything and a lot of rate limiting steps at every step of the way um but potentially a fat loss protocol wouldn't just address the l-cardinine portion but there would be something to help liberate uh and, and mobilize like fat and you know oxidize whatever and that would be taken in an appropriate setting where maybe you were ready to use that fat like around a fat loss um training session or whatever yeah and that I wonder, makes sense. yeah i wonder if you create a larger impetus for fat loss whether that be by a greater deficit or you start including some exogenous drugs into the scenario if you might see a bigger benefit from l-carnitine or even just paired with like uh stimulants of some kind caffeine yep. and ephedrine whatever like and but that's still keeping in mind now we're talking about two stages of getting that fat out of your body there are yeah. other ones as well jay did you have did you have thoughts um i mean on that last point you know if you start adding in any other substances that could possibly help with fat burning as much as i dislike that term fat burning but uh you know, then it becomes a little bit different to tease, difficult to tease out what's working when you start. I mean, that's what, you know, before we got on the call, that was, you know, you start taking so many things that you don't really know what's doing anything at all at that point. Um, I was in that L-carnitine crowd back in the day just because I was taking a bunch of stuff just to see what worked and what didn't work. But I had no idea what worked and what didn't just because I was taking so much stuff. Um I know that L-carnitine does have some benefit for sperm quality, but I don't know if that's, I mean, I don't know if that'd be the first thing that some nice. people would reach for if they're having that issue. They're like, I'm going to go get some L-carnitine. Um, I know uh, acetyl L-carnitine, I think, has some effect on like depression or has like some nootropic effects. But I mean, we're getting a little bit you know, deep in the woods there. What do you guys think is the supplement that you that you wasted the most money on in your life? Ooh. Ooh, I don't even know. Dude, there was a time where I was going back to the nootropics thing. There was a time where I was going real deep on nootropics. And I think it's just because I was trying to maintain a high workload. Um, and I said, let me try all of this stuff just to see if they worked. So I was taking, you know, like lion's mane mushroom. And uh, I mean, I still take ashwagandha, but I don't take as much as I was taking. Like theine, I was taking all of this stuff and all that stuff's like super expensive. Like it's not cheap at all. And so I probably burned more money trying to be smarter 
which for <laughs> me is literally there's no way I'm gonna get, I'm actually getting dumber by the second. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> back you're like that wasn't smart. Yeah, and it was, and even at the time, like you know, Katie's looking at our bank account. She's like, "You gave these people how much money for those pills?" And it was just littered with all sorts of random mushrooms and just stuff. And I didn't know what. And is you know, and I think about that. I probably spent more time or spent more money during that time than I ever spent on any supplements ever, just because it seemed like the thing to do to be smarter. I think the one thing I wasted the most money on was like test boosters. Nice. Oh no. Nice. Yeah. A little, a little I was that guy. Terrestrious. Yeah, and like oh, and, and uh, deer antler spray. Oh nice. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, I forgot about that one. Increase your IGF. <laughs> <laughs> I've only had a few moments, short moments in my life where like I had a big supplement bill that'd be like a few hundred bucks a month. It never lasts long. But one thing that I did consistently spend a lot of or spend money on that was for really no reason at all was extend BCAAs. Ooh. Damn, you stole mine. Good. Yeah, no. they were tasty. Yeah. I would mix them into my like plain Greek yogurt sometimes. Oh, yeah, those oh, were delicious. But it was like a, a serving. You'd like I burned through that stuff so quick, and uh, I think that's Derek Charlebois. Yeah, like Derek Charlebois and uh, Ryan Doris was linked up with those guys. Ryan Doris from the, you know, the Natty scene, or my boy, the Natty Pro. And uh, they were all linked up. So we would just get that stuff. And we were like, oh, they're taking it. So we've got to take it. And I would just, I'd probably go through, I'd probably go to the supplement store and get a bottle like every three days. Yeah, it take that. That was a good tasting BCAA. Yeah, Cellucor made some BCAAs that were pretty tasty as well. Uh, I think they had like a blue raspberry flavor that I was that I was always sipping on because I mean your boy has to stay anabolic any any time <laughs> all hours of the day, all day or day. I'm just and going then whenever, in and out of that anabolic window. And then after the research came out on MPS potentially having a refractory period, that shot and nobody <laughs> nobody sits on BCAAs anymore. Well. <laughs> No, there's actually I've read some research about BCAAs and like endurance populations where a couple of those uh, branched amino acids may be limiting uh, limiting factors or just amino acid supplements in general being limiting factors in like it's not even called the Krebs cycle, is it? I'm really showing my ass, showing my age here. The citric acid cycle, guys. Um, some intermediate areas in there where branch chain amino acids or amino acids in general could serve a benefit. But for a hypertrophy context, it was funny to watch bodybuilders really do a 180 on the old BCAAs. I fill up a gallon of water with like two scoops. Just yep. sip on it all day. All day or a day. <laughs> a few Bring years class with you. Yeah, I think when you were done. Oh, good. Then when you're like done drinking the gallon, there's this weird residue at the bottom. Ugh, like foamy. <laughs> then I found out that you you weren't supposed to. I was like reusing water bottles, and I didn't realize that you couldn't reuse gallon jugs of water. Apparently, that's not the thing to do. So that was back in those days. So I was probably drinking like old BCAAs and whatever the plastics had broken down to i'm just yeah, chugging the ultimate stuff. stack yeah. right there bcaa's and bpa that's how you get super hulk mode jacked no um i think it was first it was finding out that there may be a refractory period which i think is still actually debated and we're not totally sure on if i'm not mistaken it's been a minute and then then the research came out where they looked at bcaa's and uh dir- directly on um MPS and found that downstream it, it didn't have the effect that they thought it did just because it, uh, I guess, activated some upstream uh, mechanisms of MPS. Well, to my knowledge uh, of like the effect of BCAAs on muscle protein synthesis or actual like formation of skeletal muscle, it initiate it, it, it hits that initiation factor but it doesn't elongate the process 
So you have like the initiation of building muscle and then you have the elongation. Initiation comes from having those BCAAs, specifically like leucine, which kind of kicks that process off. But then you need like this steady stream of all the other amino acids like you would get in a meal context to actually elongate that. So someone, I don't remember who it was, gave the analogy a while ago that taking BCAAs would be like stamping down the gas pedal on your car and then immediately letting your foot off. It's like the impetus to get your car moving, but unless you keep your foot down on the pedal, which would be like supplying that constant stream of amino acids, you don't actually get your car to move at all yeah there's no yeah, car analogy why, for you i think that's why essential amino acids got so popular yeah yeah because because enough research came out to show that like that was that reason like you need enough of those um, yeah and like, uh, and all the things i did in school like every every research paper that i put into my thesis was like non-essential amino acids are not important for muscle protein synthesis like if you get enough of those eaas you can continue and those markers like stayed consistent for like hours after ingestion but it had to be at like certain thresholds of how much they had and the thresholds are pretty high aren't they yeah they're they're pretty high and then like it's better if it's a mixed meal like if there's glucose present because of like hyperinsulinemia for amino acid transport um so that that was uh that was a pretty cool thing that i when i did my research stuff that i found which uh, it all makes sense too i think uh i haven't heard this people call it this in a while but back then um everybody talked about leucine and and the leucine trigger was it that it's basically mm-hmm. the trigger to initiate mps but yeah yeah, I remember wow. when that popped off the leucine thing, and I remember people were like rushing out to buy just leucine by itself. Yeah, and then or not you'd have CAA mixtures that uh, would have normal content of the other um, branch chains, but then it would have like seven grams, and you would see a product and you'd see, holy shit! I read you only need three, two to three, three and a half grams, and you see this product with seven grams of leucine in, and you're like, that's the one. <laughs> it's like it's like leucine's the key let's just make the key bigger it'll definitely be a lot. <laughs> and then you're trying to get in your house late at night and you've got this massive key and you're like all right i'm home buddy <laughs> so let me take you even further down this this memory lane here muscle tech back in the day had supplements that were called gakic and lukic do you oh, remember yeah. those? I that once or twice? I, 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 I bought those. those before. Yeah. They yeah. were super expensive. I don't even know. Back then, I knew nothing. I, I don't know what I was putting in my body, what was in it, what it was for, other than like making me huge, I think. Um, I was hopeful of. Is that what never, those were? I was never a muscle tag. Yeah. They, they were, I think Gakic was just glutamine, and I think Lukic was just uh, leucine. And then you would take that with Celtec, which had creatine, sugar, and more amino acids in it. And then you would stack that with, you know, with their other 30 products. I remember Spencer and I used to look at each other when we were like ordering supplements during class in high school and just like Lukic. And he would look at me and be like, Gakic? <laughs> You're damn right. That's that that's fucking that that makes me angry now that I was that dumb enough to probably spend the 50 to 70 dollars that each bottle probably was back in the day um, on just like leucine or glutamine or whatever. I'm sure it had other stuff sprinkled in it along with massive amounts of rice powder or something. But um, I remember having a tub of uh, Celtec or whatever, just a massive Celtec, tub. It almost Celtec kind of hardcore. burnt going down, huh? Huh? <laughs> Celtech or Celtech hardcore? I, I probably hardcore because oh, if it's yeah. hardcore, it was better. Um, but I remember like reading that there was creatine in it, and like just I had this bottle of just GNC like creatine powder, and I was like, this has got to be better. And just dumped like the whole thing <laughs> in the Celtech and like shook it up. <laughs> Dude, it was, it was, it was, it's funny to see how like the supplement market has moved from like, uh, 
like the supplements used to be named like cool stuff like that, like Celtech, Gakic, Lukic. Now you've got like pre-workouts that are just called like cocaine and Jekyll and Hyde. They're like, fuck it. Like uh, we're not even going to worry naming it something cool. It's like, hey, you're a kid. You like cocaine. That's what this pre-workout is. This is called our new pre-workout called Matt. That's crazy. Now that I think about it, I probably have spent more money on pre-workout than anything else, just because that's the supplement that I've taken for the longest was pre-workout. I mean, like one RM, I remember back in the day when you're just getting messed up and you oh. just go to the gym, you're like, my heart is just beating very regularly. Um, I wonder if that's a concern. You're like, no, it says two scoops, four scoops has got to be twice as good. Yeah, the pre-workout's just making your body more efficient. It, your heart is only beating when it needs to. So, like, one here, one over there, a couple over here. What's awful is, like, back then I had no idea. Like, it just didn't even cross my mind that there was this amphetamine-like substance in there. And I'm just sitting here like, okay, I took this at 2 in the afternoon. It's 2 in the morning. Why can't I sleep? And why have I had the softest boner for the last (laughs) seven hours? I haven't been able to get, like, (laughs) fucking. You know what was the biggest bamboozling on pre-workouts is when they started doing, like, the, like, concentrated ones or like the micro dosed ones and sell you and like C4 would be like the, the micro dosed version. And I was like, Oh, micro dose. That's a cool word that I don't understand. And like, it has creatine and beta alanine and citrulline and all these ingredients. And the scoop is like fucking this big. And I'm like, Oh, well they must've like distilled the particles down to where it's still five grams of creatine, but the scoop is three grams total. Like they, they probably understand, but I, I don't understand it's some new wave technology in the end i was just getting fucked well you know what i tell people um like my like my mom aunts whatever like if they're like oh it's a good protein powder like i always tell them like look at the back of the thing if it says it's supposed to be one scoop 25 grams of protein and that scoop is like 40 grams on the serving there's a lot of junk in that thing yeah. oh yeah but i remember um it went full circle, right? Because eventually we caught on and we were like, oh, whoever came up with this baby scoop thing was just a piece of shit. They gave us a bunch of caffeine and like barely anything else. And then it came full circle to where people intentionally, when you went to buy pre-workout, you wanted a big all scoop. You wanted eight grams of citrulline, two to three grams of beta alanine. Like, yeah. And all of a sudden you're you're coming home from vitamin shop and you look at a Sherpa going up Kilimanjaro. You got this this massive backpack on. You got like a goat that has to carry your 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 protein powder home. All right, guys, I think that we we really went uh, hard on the supplement question. I think that we we call it here. Uh, we'll let him know. Mr. Mr. Kalabot, you're a, a friend of the family. We love to answer your questions. We promise we'll get your uh, pump set question done on the last one. Guys, do you have any closing words for the people before we send this thing off? I used to use a fake ID to buy Jack 3D. Badass. <laughs> Jake Juan would be proud. What wow, supplement store is taking ID for? I mean, I guess the vitamin <laughs> shop, the vitamin shop ID would sell you Jack 3D because you had to be 18 or older. Yep. And yes, I had a fake ID under the age of 18. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. Does anyone else want to incriminate themselves? I don't do anything illegal. No. See that closet behind me? Math can lab. we post this? Can we post this after I close on my house? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you'll see this after Dom has done some adult things. Paul, any confessions you'd like to make? I mean, I just want everybody watching this to stay girthy. That's all yeah. I want. Perfect. We love it. All right, guys, like, comment, subscribe, the usual stuff. Share this with your friends. I'm sure that they take supplements and they feel stupid for it as well. If they don't feel stupid for it, they're just not quite in the know yet. We will see you on the next one to answer those questions. You know where to ask them, at Gifted Performance or at any of these guys right here. You'll see their Instagram down below their video feed. We'll see you on the next one. Stay gifted and girthy, and we love you. Peace.